finishing up uh, Luke chapter 6 this morning, and we're in a really hopefully familiar passage for us as a church, and uh, you've heard us talk about this, and I want to kind of try to tie a few things together between this uh, passage in Luke chapter 6 as well as in John chapter 15 throughout the morning this morning. But before we do that, you may have noticed um, a couple of branches up here. Anyone grow fruit trees? Anybody? Okay, a couple, maybe. Yeah, so uh, we've got some fruit trees. Some of them are fruit trees my grandpa planted. We live in grandpa's old house. And, and uh, this, this is a, a water sprout off of one of them from just this year. This is how much this, this old tree will put off growth like that in one year. And this is a branch that I cut off last week. And it's been sitting out in the sun, drying, dehydrating, and baking. Um, but... Um, if you, if you have ever tried to grow fruit trees, um, there's, you realize, at least I, I have, you realize getting into it that there's a lot you kind of have to learn to grow good fruit. Now, uh, if you're driving around, especially if you're driving out in the country or out in the parts where some old homesteads are, you'll often see, especially this year, um, you'll see a lot of fruit trees that are just loaded in fruit, but what you'll notice is that it typically it tends to be some of the smaller bite-sized apples and not the big, beautiful apples like you would want to buy in a store. And, and one of the reasons is because of this, because your tree every year puts off a lot of new growth. And if you aren't, if you aren't actively pruning, and so... Um, Technically, you're supposed to probably prune a couple of times a year. You prune in the winter when the tree is dormant. You go in and you cut all of these water sprouts off that grew up in the year before. And then right now, July, as, you're, as the fruit is growing and producing, you want to get a lot of air circulation in. I know you really came to hear a gardening lesson this morning. But, um, but you want to get air circulation. You want to get sunlight into the fruit. So you have to cut away a lot of the branches so that sunlight can get to the fruit because that's where the, the fruit uh, gets its sweetness from is when it's uh, exposed to the sunlight. And so you want to clear out a lot of, the, a lot of the, the, the leaves and the foliage so that the fruit is getting the sunlight. And you don't want these water sprouts sucking off all of the nutrition that could be going to the fruit. You want the tree to be focusing its efforts on the fruit. And so this was one I cut off, and I went through the one tree that's got a lot of fruit on it and cut a bunch of branches off, and I still have about three-fourths of the work left to accomplish to try to get it all pruned back so that you can get, so the sun and the, and the air can get in. When you get air flowing through there, it's less likely you're going to get diseases because uh, it's, it's not uh, all bottled up inside the tree. So lots of, lots of interesting things, but uh, we'll come back to this in just a little bit for our story this morning. Luke chapter 6, verse 43, I think. So this is right at the end of Jesus' sermon where he's been painting a picture of what it looks like to be one of his followers. And, and he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Now, we have a cherry tree behind our house, and it's gotten some disease, and there's some dead spots on it. And it did have some fruit this year, but nothing like it had the first year that we moved in there when it was a, when it was a healthier tree. But now that the tree 
has been dealing with some disease that is producing a lot less fruit. And so bad trees don't produce good fruit. Good trees don't produce bad fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. Similarly, a good man brings good, good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we've talked a lot about being good trees, and that we want to be a church full of good trees, and that has been our focus on being, being good trees. But there's some really interesting things in this passage, and that one thing that you'll notice, the more you read the Bible, the more you read a passage of Scripture, the more things start to stick out to you that you didn't really notice before. And this is one of those things that really stuck out to me this past week. The phrase, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. So if you were to look back over your last week, how much of what you did was good and how much was evil? Of course, we have to ask ourselves how we know the difference. How do we know the difference between good and evil? And if we are in Christ, the only source for the, de the definition is in Christ. That is, through His Word, understanding His Word, reading His Word, being in His Word is our source of truth. That is our only source of truth to guide and govern and gird up our lives. But when you look back on your life this last week, as I look back on my life this last week, how much of what we did would we, would we categorize as good and how much would we categorize as evil? And I think we have to ask ourselves, when we think about our lives, we have to ask ourselves, are we giving God and His good a chance in our lives? Are we giving God and His good a chance in our lives? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we filling our hearts with? This last week we started something new because we really want to resource you in your day-in, day-out life. It's called the Overflow Podcast. It's going to be a short, a shorter encouragement podcast that you can listen to, you know, no longer than 10 minutes, although we may do one episode at some point in the week where we're just kind of having a discussion about what we're talking about. And I was talking a lot about loving God with all your heart last week and, and leading up to our sermon today. But I shared these ideas last week, and, and it was based on this passage to kind of prepare us for this. And um, maybe you've used this expression. You said, this or that always brings out the worst in me. Anyone ever been there? It's like, man, when I'm around this person, they always bring out the worst in me. Or when I'm under this kind of environment or in this situation, this always brings out the worst in me. And I've thought about that phrase, and, and the truth is, well, it's not really bringing out the worst in me. I guess you could categorize it, you could say it, you could explain it that way, but that stuff that's already there that's coming out. And it's kind of a blame-shifting mechanism where we're blaming the event or the person that is bringing the worst out in us when the reality is we probably haven't stored up enough in our lives for that to be what comes out. And so what's coming out is there somewhere. That's why it's coming out. 
So I just kind of offered a few practical ideas for, for how to store up God's good in your life. One is by reading God's Word and meditating on it. What would it, how would your life change if you just added 5 to 15 minutes a day of reading God's Word and focusing on it, meditating on it, thinking on it, dwelling on it, and letting it saturate your mind and your thinking? How would it change your life tomorrow if you started the morning by reading God's Word and, and going through the day with that as your focus? Another way to store up good is by prayer, praying, communicating with your Father, your Heavenly Father, not just asking Him to grant our next wish, but actually talking to Him and letting Him talk to you and letting the Father shine His light of love in all the dark corners of our hearts. All of this can happen in the context of prayer if we are spending time communicating and getting to know our Heavenly Father. Another way is through worship, and by worship, I'm not just talking about the musical portion of a Sunday service, but worship is whatever consumes my attention and my affection. So if you were to look at your life this last week, what consumed the most of your attention? What consumed the most of your affection? What was it that was driving you in your affection? What had most of your attention? Those are the things that we're worshiping, and God wants to be the thing we worship. So spending time letting God be the entire focus of our attention and the entire subject of our affection. Two quick other things, and we'll move on, is, is living in community with other believers. Uh, Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One way we store up good in our lives is by living in community with other believers. We aren't islands. We aren't soldiers out there on our own isolated mission. We are in a family of God and in the kingdom of God. And so one of the ways for us to receive God's love is by being in community with other believers who are full of God's love. And like we're going to talk about for the rest of our time this morning, another way to fill our hearts with God's good and God's love is by actually pouring out our hearts into others. Sounds counterintuitive, but uh, I think it'll make sense by the time we finish up. Asking ourselves, are you a conduit or a container? Are you a conduit or a container? Are you something God's love flows through, or are you trying to catch enough of God's love to get you through the week and store it up for yourself? So what percentage of your life do you give to this relationship that, that fills us up with God's love? A couple more questions. I, want, I really want us to evaluate and think about where we are. Do we only go to God when we're in crisis? A lot of us only ever approach a relationship with God or think about God when we're in a crisis and we need God. Are we only going to God in crisis? Do we only go to God when it's convenient? might be one step above crisis. It might actually be one step below crisis, depending on your life. But are we only going to God when it's easy and convenient for us to go to God? Maybe we've gotten complacent, and we've just stopped growing and settled into the religion of it all. We've just kind of settled into religious patterns, and that's good enough for us, but we haven't grown in our relationship with God, and we're just complacent. We're, we do what we know. 
Or would your relationship with God be categorized in the commitment level? Does your relationship with God govern and guide all of your life? That's how He wants it. He wants our relationship with Him to be the thing that governs and guides all of our lives. So if you're looking back at the last week, what percentage of your life have you given to your relationship with God? How does your life look in this last week as you lived it out? Not in the idealistic way we hope we're going to live it out in the week ahead, but how did we actually live it out in this past week? It's important that we allow God to, to, to bring these things up and, and, and deal with them when we're gathered together. Not to sugarcoat them and make them go away, but to actually let God do His work that He wants to do in us and making us more like His Son. Now I want to jump over to John chapter 15. You'll see our vines on the wall. We, this is a pretty vivid illustration for us here at 6-8 Church. John 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Earlier this week, Rob shared on Workplace the definition of this word remain, and it was so fitting for what we're talking about this week. He's, it's, it's meno in Greek is the Greek word for remain, and it means to live or dwell, to remain and grow. And this is what we are called to do in relationship with Jesus. We're called to a continual life. We're called to continual life in every aspect of the living Christ. So remaining is this dwelling. It's a continual dwelling and growing in Christ. It's, it's remaining in Him always. And this is the life that we're called to. So He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. And the good news is, is that if you are remaining in Christ, if you're dwelling in Christ, if you are in relationship with Christ, there will be fruit. God will produce fruit through your life if you dwell in Him, if you dwell in the vine, which is Christ Jesus, because the fruit is the fruit of the vine flowing through our lives. We think it's our fruit. We think it's something that we are producing, but the truth is it's the, it's the fruit of the vine flowing through our lives where God produces this fruit in us, and it's the fruit of the Father and the Son that is growing out in our lives because we remain in the vine. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I cut this branch off one week ago. And of course, we've had nice, hot, dry weather, so it's kind of exacerbated the process. But, but this is just one week of being cut off from the vine, one week of not remaining on the tree. It withered up in one week, and there's probably bugs and all kinds of fun stuff crawling on this and wrapped up in these leaves somewhere. And you can see how one week 
cut off from the vine has a great effect on the branch, right? This, this branch Becky cut off for me just this morning. I have to work at it pretty hard to get it to break up. So Jesus is saying, here's the picture. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire. This will probably burn pretty good now after drying out for a week. So are we remaining in the vine? Are we, are we remaining in the vine? See, we are the branches. This, this is the role that we play. There's a lot of interesting things that, that you can learn about Scripture by just getting into God's world and, and understanding how things work. Like, this, this branch probably won't really ever produce fruit. Eventually, it might, it might produce fruit if it grows out long enough. But, but if, you cut this, if you cut it off, then it will start sending off other, other sprouts and other shoots, and it'll send more effort and energy into this part of the vine, which will actually start producing fruit. Um, and so, so you, have to, you have to know what you're doing if you want to get fruit out of a fruit tree. I mean, you can leave it, and you can get whatever you want out of it, but if you want the good stuff. So remaining is important. If, if this branch is cut off from the vine, it's not going to produce fruit. This branch will never produce fruit Again, it never did, never will, because it was cut off from the vine. So remaining is important. We don't want to be the cut off, dried up, withered branch. We want to be, now this branch has been cut off, so it's going to dry up and wither. But we want to be, just pretend that the tree is down here somewhere. But uh, we want to be the living branch. We want to be alive in Christ. Let's go back to Luke. We're going to bounce back and forth and try to draw all these together. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my word and words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But... The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. As for everyone who comes, verse 47, every, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. Everyone who comes to Jesus, everyone who hears his words and puts them into practice. Everyone who comes to Jesus, that's the beginning point. We have to come to Jesus and receive the free gift that we cannot earn in ourselves. And then we, we hear his words, we hear what he's teaching us, right? So, so we hear the truth and this is the important part that I think so many of us miss in our world today. We put them into practice. And I've been talking, trying to, trying to gain some understanding because we, we have an application problem in our world today. And I was asking Rob, you know, you know about the, the definition for the word believe. 
doesn't just mean to agree with something in our minds. Like, I think this thought in our mind. We use this all the time. We say believe. I believe this. I believe that. I believe this. I believe that. And so we think belief is just really something in our, in our minds. I don't believe that's right. Okay, if you don't believe that's right, then what action are you taking? Or, or I believe in Jesus. Okay, well, if you believe in Jesus, then are there actions in your life to show that this is a belief that you have? Otherwise, you don't really believe because the word believe actually means you hear something, you understand the truth, and then you put it into practice. You live it out. And I was arguing, well, maybe we should change the word that we use for believe and and use the word apply because maybe that's a little more helpful of an understanding. But the truth is we would still say the word apply and just water that down and say, well, yeah, I'm an an applier. I'm a believer. I'm an applier. We have a lot of truth. We have shared a lot of truth through 6A Church in the five years that I've been here. Hopefully some of that has kind of sunk in and it's changed our lives, but really we don't necessarily need more truth. We just need to become the truth that we know. We don't really, probably most of us, need to know more. We just need to become more of what we know. We've heard a lot of things. We've heard a lot of truth, and we think that believing is just something we do in our minds, but it's more than that. It actually leads to a change in how we live out our lives. It's not just agreement. It is action. We do this in our day-to-day lives, right? We understand really how believe works because if you say something like, I believe iPhones and Apple products are the best products on the market, but you're walking around with an Android, do you really believe what you just said? If you believe that this device is the best device, and I'm not going to argue one way or another because I don't believe there is a utopian device on the planet. I think they all have their problems. But if you believe this is the best smartphone on the planet, but you don't own it, then you don't really believe this is the best smartphone on the planet. Because if you really believe something, you will sacrifice whatever you need to get what you think that you need, right? When we believe something, it changes the way that we act. Let's go back over to John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If, is this one up there? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. How do we remain in his love? By keeping his commands. Don't get all religious on me. We'll break it down. 
Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the, the, the remaining in his love and doing his commands actually leads to true joy. My command is this. Okay, everyone pay attention. This is the command. Jesus is saying, if you do my commands, you'll remain in my love, and this is how you'll have true real experiential joy in your life. This is what Jesus says. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, as if he needed to say it one more time to be clear. Love each other. So we want to remain attached to the vine. We want to remain in the vine. We want to live in the vine. Should have had her cut off one of the branches that had fruit on it, but I'm selfish and I didn't want to give up one of my apples. So um, if we want to remain in the vine, if we want to be the green branch, not the withered branch, how do we do it? By remaining in Christ's love. How do we remain in Christ's love? By keeping his commands. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And Jesus uses himself as the perfect example. And we got to look at it from Jesus' example, the example of Jesus' life, because it's so easy for us to get religious when we hear something like, Keep my Father's commands, okay? So just tell me the ten things I need to do, right? That's, that's all I need to know. I need to know the commands that I'm supposed to keep so that I can remain in the Father's love. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He doesn't want us to replace his love with a religion. He wants us to have an eternal relationship with himself and the Father. And so he gives himself as an example of what it means to remain in the Father's love. He says, just as I, Christ have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. So you do what you saw me do. You live how you saw me live. Jesus didn't simply express the Father's love for us. He showed it to us with every aspect of His life, every aspect of His death, every aspect of his resurrection, and even his ascension is showing us the Father's love. He was living his life for us. Why? Because of the love of the Father. If you've been participating in our Philippians study on Tuesday evenings in workplace, you've heard us talk a lot about joy, and it's interesting that that comes up here in this passage because We've been talking about how joy is actually really something that the Holy Spirit does in us, and we think that we can achieve joy by doing the right things in our life, but really the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what God wants to produce in our lives, and the only way for us to experience 
experience the fruit of the Spirit is to be in the vine because God, the Father, through Christ the vine, is our source of joy. So it's not the checklist that we need to be worried about. It's the relationships, the relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and relationships with one another. Remain, abide, dwell, stay, live out God's love. How do we do this? By loving each other as I have loved you. Really, probably, if we just focused all of our attention and effort and energy on one thing as a church, if we just really worked hard at loving others like we have been loved, if we loved one another like Christ has loved us, that would produce everything that God wants to produce through our kingdom community. Why? Because look at how Jesus lived. He, he loved his followers, his disciples, how the Father loved him. And look at what it did. He loved in a sacrificial way by pouring out the Father's love through his life into the lives of the 12 that were with him, and those 12 literally changed the planet. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I say. We are Jesus' friends. Notice that distinction that he makes. We go from being servants to friends. He calls us friends. God calls you his friend. Jesus, the Savior of the whole universe, calls you his friend. That is a relational term. That is something that God wants to draw you into that is better than servant. And God wants to be your friend. And we are Jesus' friends if... We do what he commands. See, we we are his friends because, like Jesus said, he taught us everything that he learned from the Father. Did you see that? He taught us everything that he learned from the Father. And that's what makes us his friends because he taught us that. So the truth is, that God has shared through his son Jesus Christ is literally the truth of the Father. It is the grace of the Father. It is the love of the Father that he has poured through Jesus Christ into his church. And the only way to be recipients of that love is to be in the vine. Were we chosen to bear fruit? Absolutely good fruit, fruit that will endure. I don't know how much you know about fruit, but there's, you know, they've been doing a lot of modification to fruit and trying to get, you know, fruit bigger and and prettier looking and, you know, GMO and all that stuff, and I'm not going to go down that road. But but a lot of the uh, heirloom, so to speak, the older apple trees, a lot of their fruit, you know, is what what, what they call hardy. That means you can pick it and store it for the winter, and you can go back all winter long and just kind of Take from what you picked and have it because it's fruit that will last. The newer fruit, the the fruit where we're trying to speed up the process, where we're trying to get more fruit off of each branch, where where we're trying to genetically modify things, it doesn't last nearly as long. Maybe 
a couple of weeks and it's spoiled and rotten, but the good fruit from the real vine is the fruit that will last. And that's what Jesus says is that he wants to produce in our lives fruit that will last, fruit that will endure. He has chosen us to bear fruit, and not just the quick fruit, the easy fruit, but the fruit that will endure, that will remain, that will last. That's why we were chosen. We were chosen so that whatever we ask in Jesus' name, the Father will give us. We have to be careful with this one. Because if we're not careful, we'll turn God into our genie in the sky, and that's not what he means by this. What he means is that even the desires of our hearts change because of God's love in our hearts. Because we are in the vine, our desire is to grow in the vine, to remain in the vine so that he can produce fruit through us. And so our prayers aren't, God, give me this thing that requires me to be cut off. No, our prayers are about being in the vine and remaining in the vine and growing up in God's love and giving God's love and being a conduit through which God's love can flow. So our prayers and the desires of our heart change because God has given us a new heart and he has changed our hearts from the inside out so that the things that we want are no longer the things of this world which wither and perish and are thrown into the fire, but the things and the desires of our heart are the things of the kingdom that he wants to grow up in us. This is what he's drawing us into. This is his command, love each other. So then, how do we come back to Luke chapter 6 and build our house on the rock? How do we build our house on the rock? We want to have lives that, that are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the rock of Jesus Christ, the rock on which the whole church is built. We want to have lives that are built and established on the rock, right? How do we do it? Well, let's go back to Luke. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck, and the house, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. See, when we're only coming to God in crisis or when it's only when it's convenient, we haven't built a foundation or more correctly, let God build the foundation in our lives so that we aren't able to handle the torrents when they come. That's why we get thrown off course so easily and so quickly because, because we have not allowed God through relationship in the vine through the sun to actually build a, a solid, established relationship. We're trying to do it on our own strength, through our own religion, through our own attempts to to do what we think is right, and what that produces is sand as a foundation. But when we're doing it because of God's love and being attached to the vine and growing up in Christ, letting his love come to fulfillment in us, then we are established in the vine. So how do we build our house on the rock? Well, it's by loving each other as Jesus loved us. That's what he said his command was. He said, everyone who comes to me, hears my words and puts them into practice. What were his words? Love one another as I have loved you. 
How did Jesus love us? He taught us everything he learned from the Father, and he offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins. That is how Jesus loved everyone in this room, that, that he taught everything that he learned from the Father to you, or he wants to, if you haven't yet learned that, if you haven't yet received that. And he offered his life as a sacrifice for our sins. This is how Jesus loved us, and this is how he wants us to love one another. This is how we become good trees. This is how we become love. It's by dwelling in the love of the Father, by doing what he commanded us. Jesus says that his commands are not burdens. They are for our joy. We don't do his commands to earn our position, but because we have received the gift, we live them out because it is our joy. We have received this thing. His, his burden, his yoke is not burdensome. It is a joy to carry. Because we have been so unconditionally loved, we so unconditionally loved. We are conduits through which God's love flows. We're not containers where we try to gather up enough love just for ourselves for the week. We, we are something through which God's love flows. I heard someone say, I think it was Alex, he said, we're rivers, not reservoirs. We want God's love to flow through us like a river, not stored up for our own purposes. And we tend to think that becoming good, good trees is about getting more of God's love for ourselves, but that's not how God describes it. It's not about getting more of God's love for me. It's about being God's love for others. So we've talked about living out of the overflow. We want to be people who live out of the overflow, out of the overflow of our hearts. The love pours out. That's what this passage says here in Luke chapter 6. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We want God's love to flow through us. See, we cannot store up enough of God's love to go out and live for God on our own strength. We're not phones with batteries that can be recharged. We need to be constantly plugged in to the source day in and day out, living in God's love so that God's love can flow through us. When you unplug a phone from its charger, it instantly starts to deplete the resources of it. That is not how God designed us. He designed us to work constantly connected to Him, growing up and letting His love flow through us. We cannot store up enough of His love to go out and live by His love. Likewise, we cannot unconditionally love one another without God's love flowing through us. It's too easy to get offended and worked up and mad and angry. But when you have God's love flowing through you, it changes how you see everyone. This old hymn, should have sung it this morning, but uh, didn't want to throw that on the worship team, but it's, He giveth more grace. And the words of it are so great. It says, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, 
When our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Don't be afraid that what you need is going to be greater than what God has to give. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. His desire is to share his resources with you. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, ever availing. The Father, both thee and thy load, will upbear. The Father will both carry you and the load because his love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That is the love that the Father wants to have flowing through our lives. His love that has no limits, grace that has no measure, power that has no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he gives and 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 he gives. And And the Bible says, freely we have received without needing to do anything to earn what we're receiving. So freely give. We have been given freely. Give freely. And if we really allow this truth to saturate our hearts, I think it changes everything about our approach as a kingdom community at 6-8 Church. We stop thinking of church as this thing where I come to get something, and you better give me something good today, Pastor. You better give me my favorite song today, worship team. You better serve me the way that I want to be served so that I get what I needed to get before I leave. And it changes our approach from I'm not coming to get, but I'm coming to give. I'm coming to give encouragement, to give a blessing, to give prayer, to give support, to give love. I'm letting God's love flow through me because I am a conduit through which his love flows. I'm not in this community for my own benefit, for what I can get out of it so that I can receive things for myself. I'm in it to bless others because God's love is flowing through me because I have received such a great gift in his love. And even our approach to all the things that we do throughout the week, I think, would change. You know, I've heard people express frustration over something like workplace because they don't do social media, but how would it change our perspective if we thought about it as though we're going to do it because we want to encourage one another to grow up in the body and the love of Jesus Christ day in, day out? If I wasn't going there because I had this obligation and this religious duty that I had to do it, but instead I'm going there because God's love is flowing through me and I want to be a part of the community, God has put me in in a day-in, day-out lifestyle so that I am constantly connected to the others who are also attached to the same vine that I'm in, and I want to live out my faith with my community. A quick check might be the I statements that we make. How many I statements do you find yourself making when you think about church and your relationship with God? Oh, I just just need this from God. I, I need God to do this for me. I, I need God to show me this so that I will actually, then I'll believe. Then I'll believe if, if I see God do this. You 
when it comes to our community, we say, well, I just don't have time for this or for that. I'm not the kind of person who really gets something out of this or that. Or we say, if I had more time, I would, or if I had more money, I would, or if I had more of this, then I would more of that. And everything kind of looks at me, but maybe the reason we struggle in our relationship with God is because we're only doing it for ourselves, and we're treating God like something that's supposed to pour out and fill our container instead of letting Him pour His love through our lives. See, we're literally trying to suck as much life from the vine as we can get for ourselves. This grew up in one year. But when your approach to God is just getting as much as you can, what you end up producing is a lot of foliage. It's impressive. One year, that was one year. Man, look at that. It's a good three feet of growth. The summer's not even over yet. There's no fruit. And what this is doing is sucking a lot of energy out of the tree that should be spent producing fruit. When we approach God from selfish means, that's all we do, I think, is grow foliage. You might see an impressive looking foliage, but there's no fruit. It's not about the foliage. It's not even about the fruit. It's about the Father. And the Father is about family. Next week when we celebrate baptism, that's one of the things we're going to celebrate is actually in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized into the kingdom of God, you actually receive a new identity as one of His children. Everybody's made in His image, but when you put your faith in Him and you receive His free gift, then you actually become identified as a child of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are in the family of God. And we get grafted into the vine. I was trying to learn some grafting this year, and all of my attempts at grafting failed, so I'll come back next year when I actually learn how to do it and use that as an illustration. But, but we get grafted into the vine And then the love of the Father flows through us and grows us up in Him. And then the illustration that Jesus uses is that the Father actually comes and He prunes off things that are growing the wrong way that He doesn't want to grow so that He can actually start to see fruit coming out of our lives. And all these little things here might actually become something that produces fruit one day. We might actually see the fruit coming out on this tree. And so God would come along and he'd cut that off. And then when that starts to sprout off, he'd cut off some other things that are growing. They're alive. There might even be good things, but they're not the great thing. They're not the best thing. So he's going to cut that off so that he can produce the best fruit in us because that is how he loves us. He wants us to grow up in him and his love. See, we don't need to store up more of God's love. We actually just need to live out more of God's love. How do we do that? In loving one another like Christ loved us. And teaching one another everything we have received from the Father. 
and sharing what we have. Then you may have seen that someone mentioned this week talking about discipleship, and it feels like an overwhelming thing because I have to teach you everything. My responsibility is not to fill your cup, it's just to empty mine. And that's our responsibility for all of our relationships and our interactions when it comes to sharing what we have received from the Father. Our responsibility is to just pour out what we've received into your life. It's loving God with all our hearts, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And it's letting Him change our hearts so that it changes how we think and how we live in our actions. This is how we love one another, by, by sharing everything that we've received from the Father and laying down our lives as a sacrifice for one another. Loving others as we love ourselves. Like we were saying earlier, it's living our lives as sweetly broken, wholly surrendered. And when we live this sweetly broken, wholly surrendered life, a life where we have followed Jesus into his death, we have put to death on a daily basis our lives, our selfish lives, our I statement lives. We have put that to death and we have been walked into this new life that is all about the we. Not the Nintendo game, the W-E, we. We live our lives as sweetly broken and wholly surrendered. And the life that we've been called into stands in stark contrast to all of my selfish pursuits that result in death. Hoping this makes sense. Making sense. God wants to grow each and every one of us up in his love. He doesn't want us to do it for a religion, for religious purposes and religious reasons. He wants a relationship with us. And the, the vast way that we grow up in Christ, the vast way that we experience and give the love of God is by loving one another. Yes, we need to be pursuing God individually on a day-in, day-out basis. That's what we talked about at the beginning, that 5 to 15 minutes. Just add 5 to 15 minutes a day. Maybe do our Bible reading plan that we're doing together or, or something. But just add some time to your day where you are, as we talk about getting in quiet, getting in a quiet place and letting God talk to you and listening to him and letting him speak to your heart and evaluate your heart and, and cut to your heart and cut all the things out when he shines his light on it. You know, spend time. We absolutely must be people who are pursuing God in our day in, day out lives, but we cannot restrict our relationship with God to just what I do in private with God. That is of utmost importance, but of equal importance is that we seek out community with one another, and that as we love one another as we have been loved, then we start to really experience and understand God's love. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Everyone who comes to me hears my words and puts them into practice. It's like a house built on the rock. 
kingdom of God is not just an idea, it's an expression. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love poured out over us, your children, through the sacrifice of Christ. I thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I thank you for that truth. Let that truth saturate our minds this morning. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Before we could do anything to earn God's approval, Christ died for us. That the sinless one put on sin so that the sinful ones could put on righteousness. Thank you for how you have loved us with an indescribable love a love for which there is no good word to explain. Father, I pray that you fill us up to overflowing with that love, not just today, but that as we spend time communing with you, both privately and corporately in, 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 our, in the secret place or in corporate worship, I pray, Father, that you would grow us up in love. Father, let us, let us understand what, what you meant by loving us, that it, that it wasn't this religious thing, that it wasn't a list of commands you expected us to keep perfectly, but, but that when we have been changed by love, we respond with love. That because we have been so loved, we so love. Because we have been so unconditionally agape loved by the Father through the Son, because we have been so loved, we so love. Father, if we have made this kingdom thing all about ourselves, I ask that you would forgive us. We know that your grace abounds. And Father, help us as your community to walk forward from this moment and the weeks behind as well as the weeks ahead in kingdom love and relational love and covenantal love. Agape, unconditional love, long-haul love that no matter what may come, we are in this together because we are the family of God. We are in the same vine. Father, I pray that you would show us in the few moments we have left together those things in our life, areas of our life where we've been trying to do things on our own that you wanted us to do in community and relationship and help us, Father, to seek that out, to be driven to want more than what we've been currently experiencing. Fill us up with you with your love through our relationship with you and through our relationships with one another that we may overflow out of our lives, the God's love, that the God's love would overflow out of each life here and that we'd just be so 
connected to the vine, that we cannot help but be a conduit through which God's love flows, and that people, believers and non-believers, are amazed at God's love in us. They're not amazed at us, but they're amazed and drawn to God's love in us. Let us be that kind of people. Let us be that kind of community. Father, grow us up in your love that we might more accurately reflect you to those who still need to be drawn in and receive it for the first time. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for the great, great things yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen.